how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 463, where I sat down with writer-director Anna Zlokovic for her new film, Hulu's Appendage. In this film, a young fashion designer's life spirals as her darkest inner thoughts manifest into something gruesome that won't stop growing. We talk about what it means to be a writer and director, influences like Steven Spielberg, David Lynch, and David Cronenberg, how she created this film for Hulu, understanding budget when you're thinking about indie or small budget films, the making of appendage, and much more. This interview will also be found on the Creative Screenwriting website. Make sure you're also following us on Instagram and Twitter, at Brock Swenson, for clips from my interviews and updates. You know, I always had a camera growing up. I know that's super cheesy, but I actually didn't know that that could be a job at all. I was like, this is fun. I love Austin Powers. <laughs> and I didn't know, you know, what to do with that interest. And no one in my family did film. I didn't know anyone where I grew up, you know, who did film. So I ended up going to music school first to study music business at USC. Um, and I quickly realized that was not the right fit for me. <laughs> and right across the street from the music building was the film school. And I was like, hmm, something about that just seems really cool. Uh, <laughs> so I took a film class, I made a movie, and then I, I transferred to the film school. And I didn't even know I wanted to write and direct still at that time. I was like, I'll do sound. Because, you know, production sound, because I know about, you know, right. music, about recording. And so I did that first. And then I was like, I don't know, this is the right fit. <clears throat> and then I went into production design and I was like, I am not good at this, <laughs> <laughs> but I tried. Um, and then I did cinematography for a while. And then I did editing and I was like, ooh, editing. Ooh, I like this. I can, I can mm -hmm. vibe with this. And so we're inching closer to screenwriting and directing. Right. We're getting there. <laughs> right. And then... I finally took, you know, the thesis type class uh, for undergrads. And that's when I got to really present and make my first more serious thing. And I got really good feedback and it felt really good. And I, at the time, was cripplingly shy, mm. very, very shy person. And directing and writing gave me a voice. Like it gave me permission mm. to have a voice and share my perspective. And it felt really good. And I was like, maybe I'll just keep keep trying to do that. And we are here now. I'm still trying to do it Right. <laughs> 10 years later. <laughs> so you've done like a, a series of shorts and this film's coming on Hulu very soon. Um, was it always horror? Like what, where did you start at? Did you start with like this, this uh, genre in mind or how did that kind of begin? With appendage specifically or? Uh, well, like what were some of your, did you, did you know you wanted to write horror or work on horror as opposed to other things or what kind of led to that? Yeah. Um, I did not grow up with horror. Uh, I was like, 
you know, my parents didn't really show me too many movies, but they had like a box of movies. So I watched E.T. and Jurassic Park over and over and over again. And I was like, that's that's what I want to do. Right. And then I, I watched Eraserhead in college and I was like, cinema can do this. And those Why? even those three are kind of monsterish, you know. Absolutely. Right? I would right. say appendage, like there's definitely crossover with E.T. for sure. <laughs> I could see that. My dad watched the movie and he was like, Oh, it's like E.T. And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. But I would say there's a definitely Venn diagram situation happening. Um, but horror kind of came as an accident where the first movie I made that people responded to came from a very dark place where I was trying to, I don't know, have a cathartic experience through my art. And it was really sad and dark. And people were like, that was, that was sick. And I was like, Oh, maybe I'll try to put all my sad shit <laughs> into right. movies. And, you know, that kind of naturally turned into horror. And I've been trying to hone that ever since. I think horror is just so cool. It's the cool. Yeah. Show. It's amazing. Do you see it as like, you know, there are certain tropes we expect and we can play to those or not. But if we hit a certain number of things, we can really talk about anything. Is that kind of how you see like writing a horror film? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is what is most interesting about the genre to me. Um, and just how malleable it is. You know, you could talk about something that so many movies have talked about in horror, but you can put your own spin on it through mythology, a unique mythology or, you know, a unique visual um and that is really exciting to me how does um i don't know when if you always intended to direct or if that came later but how does intending to direct change the writing for you does that mean you storyboard first like tell me a little bit about the logistics of it yeah that's a an amazing question uh i would say it's impossible to kind of not get the directing brain into the script and i have tended to really try to separate those things. Like, let me write the script as a screenwriter first, and then let me do a pass as a director. That's what I, I guess I was trying to do at first. Mm. Um, and I think moving forward, I'm kind of curious to blend those two a little bit more into the writing process. Um, but I just wanted this script to stand on its own mm -hmm. as a screenplay. Um, but, you know, it's obviously a writer directory kind of movie. It's very strange. It's very, you know, bizarre and um, trying to do something different in a way that I was hoping would be cool. And so, you know, I don't know if it's possible to completely separate the two for me. Hmm. How do some of your influences kind of show themselves in this work? Did you start to study like horror more after Eraserhead or do you still look to like Spielberg and Lynch and some of your favorites? Oh, I'm always going to look to those to those guys. And um, Cronenberg, for sure, was a big influence on this movie. The Fly was huge. Um, and, you know, so many modern directors that I love. Uh, Julia Ducourneau is amazing. Uh, Raw was a huge influence on this. Um, and even, you know, Karen Kusama, like Jennifer's Body. Like, these are all, as I've expanded the horror education, I'm just sort of trying to take those and be like, okay, like, put them on my wall forever. I know thing. Um, and you know, even Black Swan is a, to me a certain kind of horror film, uh, psychological horror film that I love. So, you know, I think the love of horror is definitely continuing and expanding. And I will go see any horror movie that's out, and it's just a very exciting mm -hmm. genre. 
Do you still look to those as like more leaning to you think of Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park still looks amazing because it's not all CGI, right? Do you, how do you oh, think good. about some of those things in terms of like making the monster look a certain way or feel a certain way? Or because you know, if you go low budget with CGI, it could look terrible, right? So, how do you oh, kind of find yeah, the balance? Yeah. Totally. I mean, you mentioned Jurassic Park. They just re-released it in theaters. I think it was like a couple weeks ago or last month. And I went to see it in the theater for the first time and it totally holds up like those practical effects and the way that he combines them with CGI. You know, it's so well thought out to create an effect of this is a real thing. And to me, like no matter how high budget you have CGI always I'm like, oh, we're in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like I I just always I'm like, "Oh, movie." <laughs> and I think it's really important to me to not feel that way. And so yeah. I think practical effects they draw attention to themselves in a certain kind of way, but it's in this visceral tactile way that I'm really drawn to where I'm like, "This is a real thing in the frame with the actor." And yes, maybe we use VFX to clean things up. But it's kind of like invisible VFX. Like you don't want people to know that it's happening. Um, and I just find it to be really emotionally effective. And when you're doing a movie like Appendage, which is about mental health, and the whole crux of the movie is her anxiety is a real thing. If it doesn't feel and look real, it just, it's not going to work. So tell me, um, with and I don't want to like spoil the ending anything like that, but tell me like where did the idea kind of come from? Um, did you start with theme or sadness or the monster or where did you, where did this one come from? Yeah, uh, definitely started with the themes. I was feeling sad. I was feeling anxious. I was like, what is happening with life? Like, who am I? What's going on? Um, and I was also feeling a lot of career anxiety. Um, you know, this industry is all the time. And I was on one of those down ones. And, and logistically, was this during like the pandemic, I would imagine? Or when were you like writing and stuff like that? I, what is, it is September 2023. I finished the script in, oh my gosh, when was it? I think it was last year. Okay. We shot last year and I finished it in January or February 2022. Mm. And I wrote it really quickly. Um. What was the question again? I was like, I got caught on those dates. <laughs> kind of just the uh, the origin of the story or the yeah the yeah creation. So yeah, it was January 2022. I was going through a very difficult time in my life. My mom uh, was very very sick, and I wasn't sure you know where I was going with my career necessarily. And so I was offered this opportunity to make this movie, and they were like, "You got to write it in like a like very fast." <laughs> I was like. Well, snap. Okay, like I will do this almost like a Dadaist exercise. And everything that was going on in my life just kind of like came out in both the short and the feature. Um, definitely coming from a place of anxiety. And can I exercise it from my life or find some peace through making art with it? Did you have a, a fear about that at all? It sounds like the, the the deadline made you just not think about it, right? But a lot of people have these really personal stories. Either they don't see them in their life or they're too maybe chasing the industry or whatever to just write about this personal thing, even if it's within a genre. Uh, any fear about kind of going deep like that? Or did the shorts help you kind of create milestones for that? I think a, a bit of both. I think the shorts and all the projects I'd made were all almost all of them very personal 
Um, and then the timeline, like you said, helped me not question myself too much, which is good and bad. Um, but yeah, it's always scary to make something personal. Like I even watch the movie now and mm. it makes me cry just because there's lines in it that I'm like, oh, this is like part of my life or whatever. I mean, I don't have like a literal freak. I mean, I have an appendage right there, but <laughs> you know, I mean, like it's definitely scary to put that out there, but after it's done, it's also kind of not really yours anymore. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, there is that separation, the umbilical cord gets cut and you're like, she's going to college. <laughs> I'm an empty nester or whatever. And you can kind of start to separate yourself. But I think it's the kind of scary. That's probably the good kind of scary. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like too, like those who are the least precious, meaning they're not like holding material for later. If you can throw everything into whatever you're currently working on, it's, you seem to have, you kind of set yourself up for the next thing, but also you're setting yourself up to think of more ideas, I guess, too, right? Totally, totally. I think being precious with creative ideas is totally natural and natural instinct, but I found that it had really held me back for mm -hmm. a really long time. Um, and I think that's now my number one rule is to not be precious about things and to trust that you're going to have ideas. Not that it's like, it's my one idea, <laughs> like, right, right. you know? So I think that that can be really liberating. Are there any like pressures from the studio to make things different when it comes to horror? So you've mentioned like, like if you combine the fly and ET and stuff like that, it doesn't feel like anything already. But like when I first saw the trailer, I loved a movie like two years ago called Malignant. It was a wild yeah. movie, right? Yeah, James Wan. It's a great and movie. There, and there was maybe some similarities of the idea, but then it goes a very different way. But is there any pressure to like make things different or did, how much freedom, I guess, did they give you? Was Hulu always involved or did they come later as well? Yeah, they were kind of always involved as a distributor. We had a yeah. distribution deal with them, which is like, wow, that is incredible and probably will never happen again for me. <laughs> But, you know, so that was amazing. Um, and it was the the producers and the EPs that really kind of brought me on were the 20th Digital Studio team. And they were really supportive from the start. They were like, we love how weird you are and we love how weird this movie is. And we just want to make the best version of that possible. So that was a really lucky situation. That's not always the case. Um, and they had a lot of great input as well. And so we were, we collaborated really well. Um, and, you know, not to say that there weren't creative clashes and things like that. Um, and there were things I had to fight for, for sure. But ultimately it was a good experience creatively. And I was able to combine the fly and raw and black swan and ET into a movie, which you know, <laughs> it was, you know, low risk. It's a low budget movie. Mm -hmm. So that helped. Um, but no, you know, I'm on other projects where I'm fighting for things and it's a big balance and, you know, they want this, I want that. How do we combine it? But ultimately what's best for the story. And even on this, like it, it always went back to that, like best idea wins. Mm -hmm. What's going to be best for this story. And I kind of act as the filter for that as the director. Did So a lot of like first time writers don't really understand budget. I mean, they know if they write something like hundred million dollars, but as far as like 2 million, 10 million, it can seem like very similar right or and yeah. some of that's maybe the talent or whatever involved did mm -hmm. doing the shorts help you better understand that any advice about writing with budget in mind yeah that's a really really good question um 
it is really hard and a very nuanced thing to understand how something is going to translate on screen. And then you have a director who's going to come on board and be like, I want to shoot this with a techno crane. And suddenly it's like something that could have been $50 is like $10,000. So it is so, so nuanced. But what I did with appendage to keep budget in mind was I kept it really character focused and the foundation for me was this is a psychological drama. It's a lot of people talking in rooms or talking in different places and then how to kind of accent that with the budget pieces, like the practical effects and the horror. Um, so I think, you know, it's, if you're going to add special effects to something, it's going to cost money. If you're going to add action sequences, it's going to cost money, mm. but you can always count on people talking in a room to be right. fairly low budget, unless you're like, it's a room made of, it's an alien spaceship room. <laughs> I don't know. But right. I think that was that kind of helped me gauge the budget a lot. So a lot of writer directors that we look up to, we're generally looking to their own style or voice or whatever it is. You mentioned they supported you as a weird creative, let's say. How did you kind of first start to do that when you're like talking to, is it actor friends? Is it in school? Like, how do you make those first couple of projects where you don't have to do so much to explain it? You can just say, here's what I do. Like, what's yeah. those first couple of films like? And is it just like explaining tone or tell me some of that language for people? Totally. Um, I had a unique experience. Like I mentioned, I was in the music school at USC first. So I made friends with a lot of the music kids. And so a lot of my first projects were music videos. And so that was kind of the first time I got to be like, hey, I think this would be really cool for your music. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I grew up in a house where like I would have to write essays if I wanted something <laughs> like you can't just have the Nintendo. You got to write the essay and tell me how it's going to help you and why it's good for you and all that stuff. So I kind of grew up just explaining myself all the time. So in like a good way, right? right. A, I think it was really helpful um, and it strengthens your resolve. So I, I kind of always wanted to be super clear with whoever I was working with. I would make decks. If I didn't have a language, I would use visuals. I was like, I think it could look like this. Mm. Um, here's like five pages of visual references. Um, do you want to watch this Japanese horror film? Like, do oh, let's just talk about what we both like. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't have the exact detailed language, I think references are really helpful when you're trying to describe what you're doing. And then as far as making that a reality, is that just like a matter of time to build up the confidence? Or how do you think about that, some of those things? like uh, translating it from script to screen kind of situation. Yeah. And like feeling confident, you know, you can deliver on some of these things or is it just, that's, mm -hmm. that's the whole, that's the whole job, I guess. Yeah. I feel like for me, there was, and I think for a lot of people, you have to be a little bit delusional to be like, I got this, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but for me paired with the, you know, quote unquote delusion was preparation. And so pre-production or soft, prep is like the most important part for me it's like before anyone else really digs in i'm like here's a shot list here's a storyboard here i'm listening to interviews of how you know certain directors pulled up other things i'm talking to creatives about hey like i saw your project how'd you pull that off or asking questions i think a lot of people are i'm learning a little bit tentative to ask questions because it makes it seem like you don't know what you're doing but asking the questions so helpful so you can actually plan on set how it's going to be like, you know, on appendage, we had a puppet with six puppeteers. I'm like, wait, how many puppeteers? Okay. We need to bring it in. We need to actually test how it's going to walk. You know, then yeah. you start to like, think about the pragmatic issues 
at play. Um, so just digging in to all the questions and trying to get all the answers. And then on set, a lightning bolt is going to hit your set anyway. So, you know, right. but at least trying your best to like scholastically almost learn about how to do all this stuff gave me confidence. How does one or how did you talk to six puppeteers? Is there a leader puppeteer or how do you kind of go about some of that? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the way a simple example on appendage was we, you know, did a test with the unfinished puppet. We were like, mm -hmm. okay, this is going to be hard. We're in a conference room right now with this puppet walking and I have my iPhone and I'm shooting it. Like it's like a dolly shot. And so, you know, first that's with two people. We do it kind of rudimentary and they're like, okay, these so far we've discovered like 10 issues. <laughs> right. Like We're going to go off and work on that. And we'll see you on set. And then on set, you know, you set up the camera, you set up the blocking for the creature. You're like, the creature's going to go from A to B and it's going to be talking. And they're like, okay, let's see what that looks like on the monitor. So then all these six puppeteers go on the monitor. And you're like, okay, that one is actually blocking the puppet. So we're going to have to walk to the left. Okay, the person behind them is a problem because we have to remove you with a plate before. So, okay, step to the right. So it's mm -hmm. very much like everybody has to be quiet and respectful and focused and clear um and then it's just doing it over and over again right until it's right but yeah you have to be so communicative i feel like in those situations and at that point do you just at some point you have to trust your taste in terms of what it looks like and mm -hmm. then still be scary like a couple examples i think with um bird box they had this creature in mind it looked bad so that's when they cut it out saint jaws was similar Somewhere there's like a five second clip of Alien from the first one, I think, and it just made it look goofy. And if they didn't cut it, it would have made it a possibly a, it might have derailed the movie. Tell me mm -hmm. about your thoughts on like making it scary and then like, I don't know, fighting for this almost like thing that's just in your head almost, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's all in the in the cranium and then it's not. Um, but yeah, it's tough. You know, it's you have to trust your own taste. And you also have a whole team around you who you're like, what do you think? Okay, let's talk about this. How do we make it better? Does this fit our references? So you're you're supported by ideally a group of people you trust and who trust you. And that is huge. Um, and the rest is just taking it step by step. Like, does this look good? Is this working in the cut? Um, it's looking kind of funny. It's walking backwards. Like, can we tilt it forwards? <laughs> you know? right. So much of it is uh, instinct and also seeing how other people are reacting. And sometimes people don't get it. And you have to be like, no, no, no. In the cut, this is going to work. Trust me. And they're like, okay. Right. <laughs> and I guess that's just, you feel it in your gut and it's not too much in your head. I think it's like mm -hmm. your heart has to dictate that, I think, the most. Are there things in this? I think I heard like Greta Gerwig and Noah talking about this with Barbie that like they got to a point where we, we had to trust ourselves as writers, even though when we switched to directors, we lost the thread on some ideas. Do you have anything like that or any advice for that? Like which which one do you go with? How do you know where to make those choices? That's that's tough. That's a really, really smart quote. And so true. Um, for me on set when I would lose the thread, I would, we were moving so fast as well. I, I just had to trust the script when I was like, what are we doing here? What's let me just look. Okay. This is what I wrote. This is what Anna wrote three months ago. <laughs> like we have to trust this. We got to trust her. And so I think that, 
using the script as a map was super helpful. Whenever as a director, I would lose a thread. I would just go back to the script, go back to the script, even in the edit when you're kind of getting lost in an idea, like, wait a second, what was I originally trying to do with the scene? Like, how do we get here? Open the script. What was in the script? What was in the shot list? And I feel like it's referencing those original pieces of material as often as possible. Hmm. I talked to the, um, the creators of Teenage Youth in Asia a couple months ago, which is like an unusual cartoon led by two female creators. Is there anything like that in horror? Do you feel like it's still kind of a challenge to be a female writer director? Is there are there any questions they ask you that you feel odd that there are anything like that or any advice for women coming up today? Yeah, I think that it's getting a bit better, but I do think that people question you more. I think you have to really come in over-prepared and, you know, able to answer any and all questions. And I, I certainly feel that pressure. Like, I don't think you can just kind of walk in and be like, I don't know, I'm going to feel it out. <laughs> like, you really have to know every single answer to every question. Um, and there is a pressure there. And I, I hope that the trust can grow over time. But it is tough to be like, I don't feel like there's room for me to make an error. Like one error counts for like 10 errors as a female filmmaker, it feels like sometimes, um, which is tough. It's really tough. Um, but I think the more content that's out there from this POV and the more successful it can be and the more opportunities that are given, I think that'll start to go away a bit or at least improve is the hope. Any thoughts about the strike? You kind of, you kind of got started pandemic strike happens right afterwards, uh, I feel like you're the first one I've interviewed since it's officially over, I think. So any any uh, any thoughts or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, today is uh, the official first day of the strike being over <laughs> at 12.01 a.m. this morning. And, um, you know, it's a historic situation that we were in and we were fighting for some really important things. And I think the deal is really historic and I'm really excited to see it in play. And uh, it does feel good to be able to get back to work and I'm excited to be creative again and do all that. Um, but it was definitely worth the fight and I'm really proud of what the WGA and our, our whole union was able to accomplish. Uh, just any other advice for um, young horror screenwriters coming up today or any like false beliefs you had about breaking into the industry, anything where you were sure about something and now that you kind of made your first film, you believe something else entirely. Yeah. Well, I would definitely say to keep a delusional sense of self-confidence in the face of rejection, because I think I would probably say it's like 95 to 98% rejection, you know, and you're putting yourself out there and you're being poked at and prodded at, and you just have to keep a sense of, no, 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 somebody will get this. Somebody will understand this. I'm going to keep honing my craft. I'm going to keep getting better, but I'm not going to give up on this. I'm not going to get logical about this right now. <laughs> even now, like the second you get logical about it, you're like, this is a completely unstable career choice. Like, why am I doing? No, 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 no. It's going to be great. You got this. So <laughs> that would be my biggest piece of advice is sort of be your, you know, biggest champion. And you, you know, the cavalry is not coming. It's you, you are the cavalry and you know, you got to keep it alive. Um, And yeah, in terms of the industry stuff, I think that, it's tough to pretend to be something you're not. So just, just be you, be yourself, be the best, you know, creative that you possibly can be the best storyteller, develop that side of yourself. But 
I'm fairly certain it's impossible to not be you, even if you try really hard. So just lean in, you know, be yourself. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.